Well, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for the company of the saints. We're grateful for the families you've given us. We're grateful that you've directed us with wisdom the way we ought to go. Help us understand. In your son's name, amen. So this is, we've done this seminar once before a few years ago. I forget, a couple years, three years ago. Uh, Leslie named it Bloodline. Uh, I, I was proud of her because it sounded violent. Uh, and uh, we are approaching things familiarly, if that's a word. Uh, you will have heard of things like affection. You will have heard of things like discipline. We'll be approaching some things you recognize, um, maybe from a different angle. Some things you may not. Um, what we're asking for, Leslie and I raised four kids in this house with ten adults living with us at the same time and and uh, and all our kids turned out believers um, not difficult, never rebelled um, our house was peaceful our house was peaceful and after we were done I realized that my parents had raised um, my parents had raised uh, our family in the same situation where Doug and Gordon and Heather and myself were raised in a home that was very in touch with the world and very in touch with circumstance and sin and all the rest, but our house was peaceful and we were disciplined and we grew up believers, never rebelled, never even thought about it. So we figured that if we examined these things, we would be putting together <coughs> at least the things that <coughs> we understood we did uh, either at the time or in retrospect looking back at it go that's why we did that well that's why my parents did that I don't really want you to be thinking in terms of uh, this is a seminar to convince you of this viewpoint I am convinced of it but I'm not here to convince you of it uh, the seminar is put on so that you will understand what we're convinced of okay that's there's a different task on you because you don't have to some people are insecure about what they're going to do. My kid's growing up what in heaven's name am I going to do? And so they're desperate to believe somebody. We do not want to be believed. You can after a while but we don't want you to believe us because you need something to believe. We want you to understand what you're sa we're saying so that if it is true, you will believe it. Okay? So your task in this session is to do I fully grasp what is being said? What is the claim they're making about parenting? So that you can talk about it with your spouse, so that you can look at the scriptures, so you can figure out, yeah, I think he was right there, and I think he was way off there, and so forth. We're not hurt, but we're not here to do that uh, convincing stuff. We just want to be understood. So if you have questions, uh, bear that in mind that if you want to, just not quite sure what we meant by something. Um, this first slide is kind of a verse you're going to see throughout the seminar out of Proverbs 24. By wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Which well, says what we're up, up, up against. We're all building a house. We're all building a dynasty of you and your 
spouse making babies and trying to expect goodness over the generations and if you want to build it with precious and pleasant riches the things required are wisdom, understanding and knowledge. I was saying to Leslie as we were preparing this that most people today uh, their, their verse is, I don't know where it is but it's more like stuff happens maybe with a less polite word they don't know anything about it and then at the end when their kids are about 13 they wonder why they can't have nice kids that's, that's, the, that's the feast of reason they're involved with hey, we just <coughs> tumble into love I met a girl in college, we tumbled into love we tumbled into marriage, we tumbled into bed oh my gosh, babies were produced well that's natural, we'll just do what comes naturally they won't think about it then they wonder why it's hell on wheels at the age of 13 or 3 so without the wisdom, understanding and the knowledge don't count on it we are looking at in the five sessions on the table of contents page of your notebook um, and you'll find that we follow this notebook with a few asides pretty directly <coughs> um, the, the basic theme here is the descent of true image that's whether you're doing it well or you're doing it poorly it's the descent of true image what your kids turned out like, what they saw, what they reflected, what they built, was what they, you gave them to build on. And so there's a few things that we're going to be addressing. Four talks on what you need to look at in yourself. True religion, the aroma of it, that's what we're covering first. The need for a true adult. The peace of true discipline. The joy of true affection. And then the last session is on testing what it is we did when you hit about 13, 14 in your kids, when they start realizing they're alive. Now, what we uh, initially have to face is one of the, one of the things that, that um, the Big House stands for is it's the thought that counts. That's, if you're not thinking the correct thing, then uh, God help you. You don't know what you're doing. Only luck will find you landing in the right place. So when we think of something like parents governing their home, you immediately have the, the discussion of governments. Um, and on page, page three, after the comic, which was just there for your entertainment, somebody said it looked like my father. That's me on the, uh, with the baby. Doug on that. If it looked like my father, it's Freudian. I, I was just it sort of. It doesn't sound like your father, though. <laughs> Turner Burr. Well, it seemed like that at the time. <laughs> um, the nature of governments is that a, a government. You have basic natural governments. You have civil governments from societies getting together. You have uh, uh, economic governments, master slaves, employer, employee. Uh, you have family governments, uh, parents, children. You have uh, marital governments, husband, wife. <coughs> to some small degree, you have church government, not a really big degree. Each of them have a prime directive, what they're supposed to be doing. 
a lot of the category problems that people make as they talk about politics or they get Christians involved in culture comes from not being able to understand the difference between a prime directive for a civil government and a prime directive for a um, um, prime directive for a um, uh, family government. I'm not here to do as a father or a husband what the king is supposed to be doing with his country. The king is there to make uh, to police usurpation. When you put people together that don't belong together, are not of the same family, that's not the push, right one. I have to push pause again. again yes, you did. Pause, okay, sorry. So here we go again. This is what happens. I misunderstood. So I have but to push to change and push to, to oh. pause it, okay. That's God, I can do it now. <laughs> and now push, when it comes back on, push pause. Um, so the prime directive of a civil government is the police usurpation because people will fight over their stuff so somebody needs to decide between families whose stuff is whose and stop criminals and stop invaders that's what the <coughs> civil government does uh, a parent the prime directive for a parent is to exchange maturity in peace all governments are supposed to be doing their prime directive in peace. That's what you govern for. You govern to execute an order that will produce a state of ease in the arena, exchanging maturity or policing usurpation or whatever else it may be. But for the parent, because among the governments, it's one, one of the ones that ends. You know, it, it comes naturally. It has an oughtness to an end. You are supposed to be ready to let your children go and no longer be under your government any longer. So your task is that they would be given the tools by which they would govern in as mature a way as you. Now, um, consequently, since this is a reflection of image, when you're exchanging maturity, you're going from who you are to who, and, 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 and imaging it in them, in them and you. And uh, there are all sorts of fraudulent images that families will put on. You've seen them as you've visited. They play a certain role. They act all spiritual in, in Christian circles. And then you find out, you know, the kids are a, a, a train wreck. It's because the kids are there. They see it all. They understand. They're there replicating the image that you're about. It's designed to fall apart or designed to end. You're designed as a father to give your daughter away in marriage. Give her away. You are not gaining a son. You are losing a daughter. So, the same is true with your sons. And as soon as they pick up all the tasks a man picks up, they're fulfilling the mature task of a man. You don't have any ground to discipline them in. So it's been removed from your hands. So at a certain point, you need to have gotten done with it. So consequently, what I want you to be thinking about, and this is just sort of a preface to our first talk, is that we're looking at the image you bear. To one degree or another, you have picked up the image of your physical father. When it says, I think, in uh, Genesis, and Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. 
just like it had said of Adam that he was made in God's image and in God's likeness. So Seth was like one degree of separation away. But that's been going on for a few thousand years. So we share the image of God and we share the image of our natural parenting. Uh, the people who <coughs> I happen to be of uh, white Scots descent, so I happen to be white. It's the image. But we have a certain degree of choice when it comes to God's presence in our life, whether or not we have picked up the image of our God and Savior. It says in, uh, I think, 2 Corinthians that we behold the glory of the Lord are changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to the next. So in your home, you have not just Wilsonness or Johnsonness, Haganness, to pass on. You have. Uh, the image of God to pass on. And the question is how much and clear and correct the image is that is from God in your life. Now, when you're done, when you're done with, um, and, and by the way, in your notebook, you will notice that I do not read all the scripture passages I have put in there. We would be here for months if we did, but uh, I try to pull out the key, key elements, but when you're done your children, when they hit adult life, they should be rejoicing in a well-ordered and peaceful life, that's what, what, what parent doesn't want that to be the case, a well-ordered and peaceful life that should be their adult experience so these are the things in this um, these four talks, five talks that were addressing a, uh, the task of creating that well-ordered and peaceful life. Christian existence, and this starting on page five, the aroma of true religion. When we, when we look at um, success, when we look at many parents' idea of what they want to set up, as the um, image they look at financial success, they look at uh, religious success, they look at uh, athletic success, looks, just their physical appearance. But we know in the scriptures that the successful life is not really a measure of whether you've been beatified or whether the, the, the wonderful life, the rejoicing in a peaceful, well-ordered life isn't going to come to you necessarily because you're rich and because you're good-looking and because your kids all got straight A's. That's, we know families like that. And the kids are despicable. Or the parents are despicable. The kids want them dead. But they've got money, they've got looks, they've got straight A's. We don't um, when we have the task on us to um, oh I don't know get to a certain end we get, get want to get to a certain end there's a uh, and we know that the imaging is going to happen you become you take on the image that is laid out for you that's the values you hold 
are going to be the values they hold. We, we ministered to a young lady a number of years ago. I never understood this. That when the parents send the child in desperate anger over their parents' horrible sin, went out and send up a storm. I don't understand it. To this day, I don't understand it. Other than she was living out the values, even though she despised them, they destroyed their marriage, they destroyed her life, they destroyed her memories, and so she went out and did the same. That imaging keeps on happening. No matter how much people say they don't like what their father was, they still live in the reflection somehow of what their father is. Now, when uh, you look at this task in front of you, you are not you are not making Christians in this moment. You're not the Holy Spirit. You can't save your kid. You can only fate your kid. And I think at the level where you could be confident that your child will be saved. That's not, but that's not, your task is not given to you to make the decision of salvation for your child. You have a recipe of life that your likeness either fates in a positive direction or fates in a negative direction. Parents that were always fighting put a fate into, into practice that the child will have a likelihood to follow along whatever equation that they took off that fighting. And if a child grew up in a home at peace in the Lord, the fate is toward the gospel. It isn't the gospel. Having parents saved doesn't make you saved. But your responsiveness, you're able to live according to the fate in such a way that it either encourages a bad thing to happen or it encourages a good thing to happen. Now, we sometimes think about child rearing as how do I get my kids to do what they ought? And in this, we're going to be talking a lot about, no, since they doing what they ought is going to be reflecting what you have been, this is getting you to do what you ought. That's the, they're not here, they're downstairs, they're disobeying up a storm someplace else. Um, the aroma of what God wants in us as adults. We're the mature people, right? We're all sitting in rows. Everybody's not talking. Everybody's being respectful. You're all well-disciplined. Congratulations. But the aroma of true religion, or the aroma of any religion, has got the possibility of being a major discouragement. Um, we have to fix a lot in Christianity. You all know people who raise their kids in the church, they seem to be dear Christians, and the kids turned out becoming Scientologists or atheists or lesbians. You know, whatever, take your pick. It doesn't really matter. That's what they chose to be. And you've got this feeling that, well, if true religion were producing the image, if whatever you're picking up as an image to descend from, if they end up like that, that was the image they were given. It was powerless, or it was foolish. 
So what we're looking at, it will have to deal with your image. You might want to deal with it first. That's good. Good advice. Wonder who gave it. Dealing with your image. Dear heavens, quit playing religion. That's religion is an awful thing to be at play in. Christian American mature individuals go out there and create these Rotary Club Sunday clubs that 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 function on all the wrong elements of the faith. Oh, they have all the right doctrine. Now, I, I'm not quibbling about the doctrine. Um, but what they create is a discouragement to true religion in your children. Now, some of you may not agree with some of this. That's fine. I give verses. You can look at them. But the first thing is, undo what is pious in you. And I have as a subhead, has your religion centered on the calendar, the Sabbath, any kind of dietary holiness? I don't mind if you go to church on Sunday. I go to church on Sunday. But there are, there are the, there's the kind of religion that gives that the import. That that is, even though Colossians says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are only a shadow of what is to come. That the substance belongs to Christ. So if you want the kind of Christianity reflected in your children that is merely a shadow and will be blown away by the first sociology class they take on campus, then live in the shadows. But the, the substance is Christ. Don't dictate your family's existence around things that you were warned were only shadowing. The Jews did them, but then again, they turn out not great. Has your religion centered on places of worship and institutions? I have that verse from Jeremiah, do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord, and he was saying it of the temple of the Lord. The fact that it really was the temple of the Lord didn't make it excusable that people had an undue religious centering on a place, on a location. Now, parents, oddly enough, because they're desperate to have their kids turn out spiritually, get very defensive about what they are deciding to do um, with their kids religiously. And again, you're just to understand our viewpoint. You're not here to be convinced. But still, the defensiveness does come up. Recognize that the things that matter to your child, and your child, as my mother said, I do have the quote somewhere. Oh, it's here at the bottom of page six. They have your number long before you have theirs. They're watching every expression cross your face. They know hypocrisy when they see it. They don't know the word hypocrisy, but they know what it is. And they know that you really don't mean it. They know you really don't believe it. So when you finally are slipping away from the faith in high school or college, you knew your parents never really believed because they propped up 
going to church, being an Awana, youth group, whatever the being a good Methodist. We have arguments that we try to go back to to rebuild the shadows. Most of them out of the Old Testament. But the Lord even in the Old Testament. I have this Isaiah passage here in the middle of page 6. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this endless trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Then he advises them to quit being so evil. So what the Christian has before him is the possibility, instead of being religious, valuing their your denomination or your creed or your exercises, that holiness is what you value. My parents taught me that the default in life in a family ought to be the presence of holiness. That's You're either holy or you're confessing your sins to get back to holiness. Those are your two options. You don't have the option of please be patient, God isn't finished with me yet. He, he finished on the cross. He, it's not a, no more for him to do. You just have to bow the knee. You have to confess your sins. Now we venerate the church. We venerate the history of our particular theological group. We, uh, I, I wanted to use the word unction. That's why. Have you spoken this nonsense with unction? That means you took on that religious voice that you want your children to hear. That, that the word unction means anointing and so that's why extreme unction for the Catholics is last rites, the last anointing by the priest when people speak with unction they want to make their voice sound anointed and when we do that this verse in Isaiah they draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment of men learned by rote. Memorize. So what do we end up doing? We make our kids memorize. Bible verses, the books of the Bible. Good, let's go do all these dumb things. The Bible told us not to do these dumb things. Let's do them anyway, because I'm about these dumb things, and I can promote these dumb things in front of my kids. Because we at dinner every night, we can pull a little card out and, and have them recite their verse and get it right. Making them children of hell. That's what, I mean, it's just a... Uh, remembering a Bible verse is not sin. Memorizing a Bible verse, I begin to wonder if it is. If I memorize a verse, especially if I memorize a verse as a task in a Christian home, that because everything looks Christian on the walls, I've got, what else do I have? Christian stuff. What do you, what do you have in real Christian homes in the kitchens? We always saw the bread of life thing on the table and all the little Bible verses in it with a bread loaf. Anybody see that? See, I used to work in a Christian bookstore which sold that crap and uh, glow-in-the-dark crosses or the praying hands. That was always nice. You want your kids to not deny the faith when they're in college? Do not do that. Now, 
it warns us that people in the scriptures, the Lord says in Luke, people are like graves that are not seen, that people walk over. And it's not talented. Um, what happened? <laughs> I hit the power button. You so, want me to do this for yeah, you? Just one more time. <laughs> so bad. Okay, which one are we on? Church can have a little landscape with the yard. Oh. I think it's the third one. Fourth one. Actually, it's the fourth one. Well, this is not in order. Give you that much. So, just put up that up there. The beginning and I'll, I'll get to it. I know how to get to it now. Well, for some reason, this one, <laughs> instead of where it should be. Oh, so it wasn't in order anyway? Right. Hey, look at that. There it is. Uh, so, if you just go back to exit and then, and then see the one you need to get next. This is exciting. This is an adventure. When you see old people trying to do tech. <laughs> it's cute, yeah. Um, the Lord talks about people walking over tombs that they didn't know were tombs. Um, <clears throat> and that's what you end up being. Because the church is in the business of making everything look well landscaped. You can landscape your... Uh, the church lawns, the, the, the graveyards are great. I'd love to freeze church out in Potlatch. There's a great graveyard right next to it. I wish we had enough room at All Souls to uh, graveyard it up. But And we might be the residue of, you know, you got this great mausoleum for the, the, the Nicholases, the Hagens, the, the Bateses, and everybody's very pleased with that. But the Lord knows that what's the inside of the thing is really what matters. There are things, once you get past corporate devotion, because corporate devotion, and each church does it in different ways. Uh, I grew up a Southern Baptist, and, and that, they did it a certain way. You get a Presbyterian or a Methodist or a Lutheran, they're going to do it different ways. And thank you to the Lutherans for these t-shirts. They, through Thrivent, sponsored through the cars, your food tonight. So uh, they, that's why it was cheap. So the Lutherans have got something going for them. Money. But each one is going to be doing a different kind of corporate religious play acting. So we sometimes think that if we go to personal devotion instead of corporate piety, we've done the, the right and good thing. Now, in Colossians 2, 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, taking his stand on visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head. Now, the same problem as if you were keeping the, the calendar and the, and the food laws are the things that your group of Christians expect you to do. Just because you went all personal on it, doesn't mean that that devotion is good and holy. It just may be silly. And kids spot silly fast. 
initially they'll think it's great. I didn't. No, I. I. I won't make. I better not make fun of certain groups. How do I do this? Make up a group. Um. I've known mothers to just be dear, dear, spiritually expressive about their own life and about what's going on and how just so, again, silly. The child doesn't know silly from a hole in the ground, so when they're four, they love their grandma or their mother talking to them that way, and then they find out this isn't the way it is. Then they begin to be, you know, stiff arm. I know a family that's broken up almost entirely from top to bottom, morally, spiritually, everything, because the mother was silly. Silly and devout. Always wanting to have, let's have some devotions. Let's sing some choruses together. And everybody in the family just wanted to punch her in the face. Now, it's not good they wanted to punch the mother in the face, but you've got to realize that, that self-abasement, visionary, puffed up without reason by sensuality, which a lot of these things are, they're just invented closenesses to God, that does not make... You could either have to be successful, in which you create a, the image of you, which who wants to know that person, and no man ever wants to marry that sort of woman, or someone who goes, no, thanks, and they flush Jesus Christ, the gospel, everything that is holy about the faith, down the toilet because you are playing at self-abasement in the worship of angels. Or you get involved in the worship service at the church. Oh, you know, the hand or the two hands. When the Lord says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, this is your spiritual worship. What you do as a Christian, true religion, is that what your Christianity is, and I mentioned this about my parents, I, I thought back of it about, a few years ago when we were first working on this seminar, and uh, realized that my parents' Christianity had nothing to do with the church we attended. So it had no connection to being a Southern Baptist. We went there because it was the most biblical church in town, but it had nothing to do with the church. It had everything to do with real Christianity. Now, it also wasn't loopy. It wasn't at home and standoffish and everybody kind of staying away from everybody else so they could do what they wanted and it was weird and it was conspiracy theory and all the rest. No, it was real, solid. Jesus Christ, Him crucified, the effect of the Holy Spirit in your life, expectation of holiness, a studied biblical framework. And I knew my father got out of bed in the morning thinking that. And he went to bed at night thinking that. Living sacrifices is what I saw in my parents' home. And that was spiritual worship. I never felt the need. I think a lot of people feel the need not just to reach their, reach their children, but to reach into their own spiritual lives. So they trick out some aspect of religion to look a lot more exciting. They play at corporate worship or they play at 
personal devotionalism and they play at these things. And you can't get away from the fact that the, the nature of play is it will be spotted as play. Someone will see it and they'll know you were playing. And on, the, on the memory thing, I have some reverse here. The Bible memory programs, catechisms, confessions. As a Southern Baptist, it was Bible memory. Or knowing where the Bible books were. We had sword drill, always racing. Because you, if you don't turn the Bible into a competition, what have you got? <laughs> so we were racing to get to certain Bible passages. Quoting as much of the Bible as we could. Not a thought of it in our minds. And Isaiah says, for it is precept upon precept. They have a Bible study named Precepts. Probably after this verse. I don't know, maybe. Line upon line, line upon line. Here a little, there a little. Skim down to the end there. So he quotes that again. Therefore the word of God will be to them precept on precept, line on line, here a little, there a little that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Don't do that, in other words. Don't turn the faith into a Bible memory program. We don't fake the external. We don't, we make, we don't make a mausoleum for our dead children to live in so they can look as religious and holy as possible with Bible memory verses and attendance cards, and pledge cards, whatever else it is your church does. Now, I want to make it clear that personal versus corporate, personal is closer, they're different, and personal is closer to the kingdom of God, but that it is personal doesn't make it the kingdom of God. The fact that you thought Jesus things about, about life does not make it Something that that uh, uh, a parent, a Christian parent, should be acting like. But you may be closer than if you just shuttled your whole family off to church land, Bible land, Awana, Sunday school. What else do you do in churches? As soon as we step into a realm that is easier to do, in a sense that oh, I can take my kids to gymnastics, soccer. And Awana. And I've taken care of their possibility of going to the Olympics, the possibility of what's soccer, becoming gay, and uh, going to heaven because it went to Awana. We, we set it up as easy uh, to do, and it's not something that God wants out of us. And you will be horribly, horribly, horribly surprised at 13. Well, maybe you won't be horribly surprised. One of the things you need to undo is the law. Let's see if we get the right one. Which one is it? see it, though. It doesn't even look like it's on there. Is it that one? Yeah, thank you, Tim. We need 12 people and a committee to get the slides to go on correctly. Doesn't help, doesn't have a big screen. 
Remember to push the hold button when it gets up there. I have to hold it? No, you oh. have to push it. Push the hold button. <laughs> hold the push button. One of the things that besets you when you step into the government of parenting, one, you think because you're a lawgiver and you're a law enforcer to whatever degree, you start developing strong views about law and law as a way to get at things. And in Christianity, it's not the way to get at things. Making your household a, a list of do's and don'ts. Um, and I want to read you that passage, as it say, Colossians 2 on the bottom of page 7. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? You know, short skirts, fishnet stockings, heavy mascara. Actually, no. Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things which all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and doctrines. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting rigor of devotion and self-abasement and severity to the body, but they're of, follow this one real closely, no value in checking the indulgence of the flesh. If you don't understand what Christianity is and how it is holy and how you live the ethical life in Christ, you are you should have your tubes tied or a vasectomy. What are the two? To keep you from bearing children that will be sinners of the next generation. All your kids will be sinners, but permanently, you know, go into hell. If you don't know what ethics are in the Christian life, because everyone thinks that the shortest distance is a rule. The fact that you could give a rule doesn't have in it automatic wisdom because you were in the position of the master you gave a rule doesn't make you wise doesn't make the rule wise it doesn't have that magical capability and it's not even true of the rules that you can drag out of the Bible because the nature of Christianity Sin shall have no dominion over you, for you're not under law, you're under grace. You have to understand what Christianity is. Do not put up with somebody's off-the-rack Christianity, whatever your denominational um, theological persuasions are, there's an off-the-rack version that you can just go to your church and get it uh, issued to you in approximately your size. Another thing to undo. Undo the impious. I like the word unction. You get to say the word impious. It's not impious. It's impious. We have the problem of hypocrisy. When looking religious enough becomes sufficient in a home. I have a number of passages here of what it's like what it's like to not be what you're pretending to be on the surface. And I have that in verse 24 of the first passage. Because of you, 
the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. And because of us, the name of God will be blasphemed by our children. Because a real Jew, verse 28, is not one who is one outwardly, but one who is one inwardly. So the external display of religious plumage is not what is going to touch your children that they will then habitually, if you get the child that perpetually buys khakis and combs his hair on the side, if he says, yes, this is the plumage I, I wish, this is sure respectable, and I like being respectable, you have, so congratulations, you have made a prig. You made somebody that everybody in the world wants to hit in the face. The other choice is you're going to have rebels. You either have the, the prig who goes along because, they, as Lewis says, they don't know there's anything more. They see all the rewards of living the appropriate life without Jesus Christ doing something remarkable. They do, in the Matthew passage right underneath, they do all their deeds to be seen by men. That's verse 5. Down in verse 13 there in Matthew 23 it says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither enter yourselves, nor allow those who would enter to go in. And that's what happens in Christian families. Father knows best, father knows too much, father turns Christianity into a major discouragement or provocation or reason not to want to be one not really being changed by Jesus Christ to do a loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, etc. person. They make people fit for hell. They don't go in themselves. Everybody playing around the surface. There's also kind of a stupid piety. And I, and I, I blame individuals for this. In the world, there are a lot of promises and claims. I don't mind if you believe them. Sometimes we have political year, or there's our commercials, and you think the thing is well made, and it's not well made. They told you, she was really pretty, honey. She told me that this deodorant would make me irresistible. We believe a lot of things. Our faith in those worldly things ought to be minor. This covers minor areas, your body odor, which car you buy. Faith is believing God and seeking God. Those are, oh, it's up there on the screen. Congratulations. Congre Christian faith is believing God and seeking God. Now then the question is, what, am I, what have I believed and what have I sought that is elsewhere? And when I look at Christian needs serviced by worldly ideas. That's the stupid piety, the people who are devout for some new idea, thinking that a drug or a dietary change is there to stop their sin. Because your little child of hell that you've been raising is not that way because he's got a syndrome. The little child of hell that you raised is because he's a little sinner. But if you think it's because his gluten intolerance, whatever else, 
Do not be led by diverse, away by diverse and strange teaching, for it is well that the heart be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited their adherents. Timothy 4, two verses, two passages down. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by giving heed to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And my father always would let that pause there. What kind of sin do you think is coming? More short skirts, more mascara, rock and roll, and probably drugs and and by curious lifestyles. But no. Through the pretensions of liars, oh, it gets worse, deceitful spirits, doctors of demons, pretensions of liars, whose consciences are seared. Then look at what it is. Who forbid marriage and enjoin abstinence from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected except for mushrooms if it is received with thanksgiving. I added the mushrooms. Nothing is, you don't get to say, well, in their day, and no, nothing. All is created by God. Those are doctrines of demons. Just like back when I was talking about people submitting to regulations, even though those were It says, have nothing to do, verse 7, with godless and silly myths. Husbands, now I don't mean to blame the women, but sometimes, frankly, certain ideas go through the faith in the gossip groups or the book clubs that women have. And they pick up all sorts of crazy from each other. Just say it. But I don't blame the women, I blame the husbands. Because the husbands are just letting... She who must be obeyed has stuff that she wants you to obey because you're not going to get any if you say anything untoward about her new theories on whatever form of food restriction your family is going to enjoy. We live by grace. We receive everything with thanksgiving. This is God's creation. So, when you think that the, the Christian life is adjusted by these sillinesses in Mark 7 then are you also without understanding do you not see that whatever goes into a man from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and so passes on thus he declared all foods clean Jesus Christ doesn't seem to believe that any moral quantity is touched by what you eat. You can disagree with Jesus Christ if you want. I don't. Again, this is not to convince you. You need to understand what he said. Are you taking up God's understanding? Your children, your children are viewing a Christianity that they either suspect is real. You have real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ God the Father, saving your rotten soul from sin, promising you life eternal in which you really believe. Or you really do. Or you're some sort of play-acting crazy person. 
But if they don't pick up rules from the Old Testament, they pick up rules of their own that they created. I get I get Facebook posts from some woman I don't know who's got issues. There needs to be an intervention. And every, every, every news story that has anything to do with how our lives can be brought to a horrid end real quickly, she's got posted. Now, again, I don't know. Might be a very nice person. But it should be, that's not the kind of Christianity that your children should be experiencing because they want out for the sake of a Twinkie. Just to have a peanut butter sandwich on white bread, they would give up Jesus Christ because you and Jesus Christ and gluten-free are all together. It's a, it's a, it's a group a deal. So it's a, it's a happy meal. Now, when I said that mom is uniquely susceptible, mom uniquely is. Not because women are awful, because I think they're really cute. And I think when God's working in a woman, those strengths are they're great, both in the family. I don't know what, I wouldn't remember anything if it wasn't for my wife. And she's much more conscious of law and order than I am. <clears throat> so I know that the Lord could do, my mother was a saint, some of you knew her. Um, but what happens is the, a writer of the scriptures does give warnings in particular about certain things that women do. One of them in 2 Timothy 3 about bad teachers holding the form of religion but denying the power of it. Verse 5, avoid such people for among them are those who make their way into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and swayed by various impulses who will listen to anybody and can never arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Now, I'm just being as misogynistic as St. Paul. No further. Mom is uniquely susceptible. Not every mom. Jesus Christ is there to stop it. And the things have to be stopped. Look at what this woman is. She's burdened with sins. If she confessed her sins, she wouldn't be burdened with sins. Two, she's swayed by impulse. Means that she thinks in a passionate way instead of a rational way. So rejecting that somehow the excitement that you have and that you bring into life because you're a free spirit and an exciting person and drama happens in your life, we don't want you really making decisions right here. So, confess your sins. Or if you have a friend who's like this, ladies, realize that what you have to fix is not that she believed in X. You don't argue with her about a certain product. You don't argue with her about her theories. You try to bring her back to the grace of God. Get her confessed right with God. Get her away from thinking that what she feels is what's important. Impulse is not the path to truth. It's not an epistemology for anybody. And lastly, listening to anybody. I mean, absolutely anybody. 
You ever watch TV and see Joel Osteen come on? There are like 10,000 people sitting there with their Bibles of men and women alike. With their Bibles open and notebooks like bigger than your yellow pads I gave you. People with three ring binders they keep notes of everything Joel Osteen says. My heavens! He says nothing. But they'll listen to him. People will listen because they have no they have no ground of reason against passion. They've got something to hide. They're swayed by sins. And they don't falsify what they hear. That's why I really want you to just understand what we're saying. Not say that Evan wants to convince me or I need to decide whether or not I believe it. No, you need to understand, say whether or not you understand it. I don't want to be doing the same thing that false teachers do. I want you to be thinking, what's wrong with what was said? Because that's a dangerous place. When they listen to anybody, they can never arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Another thing to undo is fear. Now these are things that we've talked about. We've talked about uh, a variety of things that you know that exist in churches to varying degrees of churchiness or homes to varying degrees of religious homes. Um, fear is far more personal to you. Uh, I don't know of any churches that are based on fear. Uh, there may be some fire and brimstone type of thing. But that's not the kind of fear we're talking about. The fears about life, because so much of what you are taking, these little babies who are, they're pretty delicate. I don't know, you can't, you can't drop them. Uh, Leslie had a relative that back when, uh, 30 some years ago, when we were first married, we were visiting in California. She had the baby in a car seat, slipped out of her hands, the car seat dropped to the floor, baby flipped out of it. She screamed, I've killed my baby, and ran out of the room. <laughs> Leslie's father got up off the couch, picked the baby up, things were fine. Didn't kill the baby. Ever think, I don't know, you know, you wonder sometimes. But I'm sure whatever kind of fears that have come home to you about little Johnny dashing out into the traffic, a three-year-old doesn't stand a chance against the 7-Up truck. Okay? And you know that. You women are going, yeah, I always thought about the 7-Up truck. I've already thought about the Coke truck, too, and the garbage truck, because it comes around every week, and it could hit my kid. And so what starts to happen? Scenarios are written, new helmets are developed. Um, you're not supposed to fear. You're not supposed to live a life where you're telling the child that the adults here in the room, though everybody is concerned, it's be far better to hear father grumbling about the state making us buckle our seatbelts than mom desperately making sure that all the kids are buckled. With extra buckles they bought. Far better to hear dad cursing the government. Maybe. 
can't stand there and make us buckle these things. When I was growing up, we didn't wear our seatbelts. And we didn't. We all survived. But fear is no place in the, in the... Because it means that the Christian life that you're representing isn't taking care of that. And the Lord is very clear. These are some things that I... Uh, they don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. These are the, the excuses that we make. Somehow, some make it's a monastic synactity, synactity, sanctity of, as a city of New York, Schenectady. Um, monastic sanctity of denial, that somehow we will do without these things because having these things, we're kind of suspicious of these things. Uh, no kids, I, I really don't think we ought to be buying rollerblades because it's kind of worldly. Really, Mama doesn't want you falling off them, falling off the skateboard. See, Will going down the street, middle of the street. Thank you. But he's doing better and better all the time. But we don't, we, we sometimes dress up our, want to hide our fear under as if we were keeping a worldliness at bay. Some, it's like women get the, the I love you most title because I'm afraid for you most. So they think expressing all of those concerns about you having enough to eat, would you eat the wrong thing, what's your diet like, are your, are your bowel movements good, what, what's, what's going on, expressing your love. Uh, I like the line in Lewis, I think it was in Lewis someplace, she was the kind of woman who lived for others. You could tell the others by their hunted expression. <laughs> oh, and this is a good one for men. Showing how responsible. Yeah, I get to use the word uh, prudence. It's just prudent that uh, I put these 28 seatbelts on. and It's just prudent that I wear that stupid life jacket. It's just prudent that, that it, men know. It's not very manly to have the dang helmet on. So you know that when you're all by yourself, the helmet comes off. Unless you're a real sissy girl. How responsible you are. Or some people like, they like fears and, 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 and pushing them because they're drama queens. They want to have, they want to have a crisis. Um, you, you've heard of Munchausen by proxy? Women, again. Plummeting the world into sin was not enough for them. <laughs> Munchausen by proxy is where a woman hurts her own child to the point where it would need to be rescued somehow, and she then gets the thrill of this rescuing her own child by poisoning it or hurting it or something going wrong so she can rescue it and get it to the hospital. And, and it's mental. But some people like toying with fears this way. A narrative of their excitement. Now, the Lord has a different view of it. We're not supposed to fear anybody who can kill the body. We're supposed to fear God instead. We're not to be anxious, Luke 12, about our life. Verse 25 says, Of which of you, by being anxious, can add a cubit to his span of life? Uh, then he says, if then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? If you can't make your life longer by being anxious, and a lot of people think actually think that's what they're doing. That's precisely what they're doing. I'm making my life longer. 
by putting this helmet on. No, your life is going to be as long as it was and people are going to laugh at you. The Lord knows we have needs of those things. The Lord knows those dangers are there. The Lord knows that kids run into telephone poles all the time, break their leg. The Lord knows. We seek His kingdom and God cares. But we seek His kingdom. Now, it's far better for your child to hear Father grousing about the government forcing things on us, safety concerns, but far better still to hear Father seeking God's kingdom first. Well, God, God knows. God cares. To the degree we need help, let's ask God in prayer to cover this. And the kid begins to go, my dad knows where things belong. He treats his religion as if it were a real religion. His God were a real God. Tells us not to be anxious about the future. You don't even have to think about the future. Tomorrow is, is verboten. You make plans, again, the providence, wherever the other one was, the, 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 uh, the responsible man making plans for the future. You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Your view of the future should never be, son, I'm going to go do this, that, and the other thing. It's always going to be, son, if God allows it, I will do this. He should always hear that you've got no claim, no control, no ability to add a cubit to your span of life. You're all waiting on things to happen on this stage. All such boasting is evil. Philippians 4, have no anxiety about anything. Peter 5, cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares about you. That's what your children should be seeing. Especially you moms, you've got struggles, you know, uh, when we were first married and had a lot of financial shortfalls, we'll call them. That's what Leslie would struggle with. My mother struggled with it, being in the ministry with my dad. And, uh, but that's what I saw growing up, was my parents praying about the income. So that they would see who we trusted. cast our anxieties on him. And so that when mother is anxious and she knows she shouldn't be, she knows how the Bible instructs her to deal with it. She makes her needs known to God with thanksgiving. She casts her anxieties on him. 1 Peter 3, So once the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves and were submissive to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are now her children, if you do right, and let nothing terrify you. So that when the mom says, okay, I've got to roll up my sleeves, I've got to do what's right, I've got to submit to my husband, kids, we're going to do what my dad, your, husband, your dad wants, because I'm not supposed to let anything terrify me. That's following the biblical plan. So your kids hear a biblical person being being lived out. A, a, a biblical image being lived out.
the uh, the image, if it's one of fear, is one of ineffectual religion. Your God couldn't do squat for you. Now, what for all these things that we are to undo? You know, we got pieties, devotions, law, um, the impious, the stupid pious, fear. That's pretty good. There's probably some lists you could add to it as you think about it. Things that shouldn't be. Marking out your life. Don't expect that any of what we're going to talk about is going to have, if you, you mimic the rest of it, there'll probably be some benefit. But this is the key element. What your religious life is like in Christ. Being a Christian has to be centered in the gospel has to be centered in righteousness and the third point it has to be centered in wisdom <coughs> the gospel you know whether or not you've believed it, whether you've passed from death to life um, this brings God's grace into your life with the Holy Spirit to be working towards a, a true religion that God is able to make a true religion in you uh, and you won't be just some, someone standing in the back of the church wondering why everybody else is having an easy time of it and you're not. You have to have believed the gospel. Second, the righteousness of God. Is, did this gospel have an effect on you? You have to look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. What does it describe the Christian righteousness like? It describes it as love, which is described as kind and patient. There has to be confession. In other words, that when things go sideways in your life and you ended up screaming at your wife and you know it was sin, you go before the Lord and you confess your sin and He is faithful and He is just and He will forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And kids, since they've got your number before you've got theirs, they can smell the aroma of the house. The likeness that they're picking up even if it was in the face of evil, they see how grace works in the presence of guilt. Instead of seeing someone sweeping an argument under the, under the uh, carpet. Instead of doing what all non-Christians do, just negotiating a settlement. You negotiate a settlement, Jesus Christ wasn't there forgiving. So, Understand what righteousness is. Understand what grace is when, you've not, when you haven't been righteous. The last point is the wisdom. Because without the wisdom, you can have, and we're going to cover this at some point. I think I, I forget where I, where I said it. Somewhere in the notebook. The gospel makes you a Christian. Righteousness makes you a Christian who's pleasing to God. If you're not a real smart Christian, if you're in a church or in a group of people that are passing on folly to you and you don't know the difference, you're not wise, you will bear the fruit of that lack of wisdom. Um, but And it's by wisdom that uh, a house is built. God has made the world a certain way. Um, the difference in your life will be in the arena 
of wisdom. Um, there is a uh, and you guys all know that as you have kids and they grow up every day is a new potential wonder or calamity you could be visiting the emergency room or you could be you know rejoicing with them out at Applebee's for something you know you don't know because they don't haven't decided yet what they're going to do to you and they do that for 18 years. And if you have seven kids, a lot longer. We're facing nuanced choices of wisdom. How do the words come out of my mouth? How do I represent Jesus Christ to them? How do I deal with I have not been faithful to Jesus Christ in front of my kids? But you need to have, you might say, a clarity of what you think Christianity is. I've laid it out. The gospel, the righteousness, the wisdom. That's Evan Wilson's simplicity. Okay, Come up with something. Know what it is you're living out in front of them. If you're going, if it's the church, tradition, and, and hypocrisy, you know, go in peace. But a life philosophy. Uh, somebody was, uh, Daniel Patchen was, uh, they wanted to be here this weekend, but have a wedding in Boise. Um, was telling me about, I forget who the author was, that said, you could, unless you had a philosophy of life, you could not write convincing fiction. And I believe, I think that's, that's kind of a truism. How could someone write fictional characters? What would they be fitting into? They have no view of the world as it is, at least to them, that would hold up their fiction as plausible. But I also realize it's true of each of us because we're all writing a life. We're all writing a narrative. Some of you may even have plans about college funds for your children. You think, you know, these plans are going to work out. Oh, in about five years we'll go to Disneyland. You will. You mean, Lord willing, you'll go to Disneyland. You're writing based on an idea of what is. You're planning your Christian life on the basis of what is. You're writing your family out on the basis of what you believe is. You might not be right, but if you don't have a wisdom, if you don't have, an, uh, you might say, a positive plan of what Jesus Christ is doing in you, um, it's going to be hit and miss. It's going to be chance. It's going to be random. It's going to be blown up in your face all the time and you won't know what hit you. Um, when you do, not only will it make your walk with Jesus Christ good and, and your kids growing up with far more gratifying moments spiritually for you than you realized were possible or that you ever gave your parents. But you'll be luckier, frankly. I can't give you a rabbit's foot or anything, but I know that to the, to the degree you understand the wisdom of God's creation, the more you understand it, even the things you did not plan will work for you. You, you, step into the, you step into the stream as it is for all the things you couldn't think of. But because you are thinking about what it is to be a Christian, you've got your basic things that you know the Lord and the Apostles spoke against that so that when mom fears something, and you husbands, and if your, your wife is fearing something, you better step in there and build her up spiritually 
because she has the privilege of feeling that temptation and you have the privilege of honoring her in that weakness but it's got to stop you've got to be able to hold her hand and take her to prayer and take her to Jesus Christ because these are things that we're living out actually in front of our children some are obvious but your life will be luckier and I don't know if you even believe in luck and I don't even know if I'm talking about luck as people would call it like a, a force that is working for you no, you just understand what's going on without knowing you under, you're understanding it and so your decisions step into it more positively and reality has a way of catching up with stupid you, you can't dodge reality it will, it will find you it's trying to kill you by the way reality and it will succeed by the way a couple things it's trying to kill you it will succeed just make sure it isn't because you're stupid but it will catch up with stupid and, and then throwing up your hands going I didn't understand well we need to spend the time understanding it's basically the idea the last line I mentioned here on page 11 you don't last lines too many Christian parents hope we've had it happen here at the big house um, oh he's a really good kid they tell us mom and dad no he's not he smokes dope he got kicked out of his frat what do you mean he's a good kid oh he's a really good kid he just really needs you know a Christian environment like your home like your church you picked we've had you know, now thankfully wonderful things have come out of a lot of these tragic stories other times not so much but they're not, that's what they hope. They hope, uh, send my kid to university, maybe I'll contact the Campus Crusade staffer and have him call on his dorm room. Eh, finally get around to presenting Christianity to him, somehow. Christianity has a rightness, a realness that you've got to find and you've got to live. Nothing less will give you the power to believe with confidence that your child is going to turn from darkness to light. You know, really, it's got to be the real thing. They're not going to be impressed with, just like Democrats think they can write a financial policy for the country, and no, they can't. And you can't write a fake Christianity that will be nearly as good as Jesus Christ. So make sure that you only do the real. Okay, well, that is the end, I think, of our... Way faster than Way faster than I thought. Because I didn't read a lot of those passages of Scripture. Okay. Go I'll go back and read them now. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, <clears throat> at, God willing, approximately 6 o'clock, there will be a buffet in the kitchen. You can get your Italian food and wander about, get some wine. Because there's a talk afterwards... Be aware that wine. two glasses of wine is probably not Christian because you'll be sleeping through my talk. 